So this afternoon we're going to continue in our series, our very short series of two sermons, uh, from Daniel chapter 2. We're just going to focus on the last two, well, last two verses. We're going to focus on two verses in Daniel, and then on Daniel chapter 2, and then we're going to move to Daniel chapter 7. We'll read the verses 44 and 45 of Daniel chapter 2. This is the explanation of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ, filling the land. And there we find the word of the Lord. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Let's move to chapter 7. For some of you know that Daniel is kind of broken up into two parts. The first six chapters are narrative, the story of Daniel with the various kings. And seven through the end of 12, it's about the visions. And the visions that Daniel sees in the chapters 7 through 12 are basically an explanation or a continuation of the, of the dreams and the narrative of chapters 1 through 6. And the animals that you read about are often very grotesque and Larger-than-life animals that you read about in the chapter 7 through 12 are the kingdoms of this earth and the great king, uh, Jesus, who is also the son of man um, from Daniel, is also recorded in, in these chapters. But we'll read a few verses then from Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 18, speaking about the ancient of days and the son of man. There we find the word of the Lord, chapter 7, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me 
I came near to the one who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. As we turn into the New Testament then, Christ also speaks about this kingdom on the cross. If we turn to Luke 23, just read a few verses of Christ's suffering on the cross and some of the dialogue that he has there, 36 through 43 of Luke 23. And there we read, the soldiers also mocked him, that is Jesus, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you, are not, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the kingdom. That is the word of the Lord. Following the sermon, we will sing from hymn 45, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3 of hymn 45. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the chief differences between a follower of Christ and a follower of the king of the air we learned this morning is Satan. One of the key differences between those who follow Christ and those who are citizens of this world is spiritual discernment. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, Paul says the following words. He says, the natural man, those who are materialists, those who live for this world and this world alone, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things. See, a non-spiritual man does not discern the truth of the present. He's not able to understand it in its context 
and he is not able to understand the future. The, fu- the future for a natural man, for a materialist, as we learned this morning, is just a w- wall of gray. It's uncertain, it's unknown, it's even fearful. What is said in Scripture about the future is absolute foolishness to a natural man or woman. It's a myth, it's a lie, it's a joke. They are, as we learned this morning, steeped in the philosophy of this age, which is materialistic and naturalistic, which means all you see is all you will ever see. All you see is all there is to know about this world. We can use scientific right reason, but we cannot enter into the transcendent because that is an unknown. It doesn't even exist. But if by grace, through faith, we are in the kingdom of Christ. If by grace, through faith, we have the spirit of Christ in us. One of our chief callings in this life is to be spiritually discerning all the time. Do you know that? We are called to discern what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil, what is fleeting and temporal and what is eternal, what is a pursuit of holiness and what is a pursuit of carnality, what brings glory to God and what brings glory to man, what seeks his kingdom first and what seeks the kingdom of of the unholy one. Satan, what is a good legacy to, to leave to our children and grandchildren and what is a poor legacy? What does it mean to share the gospel of the kingdom and what it means not to? We need to discern every part of our walk with Christ. As we learned this morning in Daniel 2, from Daniel 2, and from the story of the image of the colossal man, the church of Jesus Christ is called to the act of constant spiritual discernment. And we need to realize as we discern what is to come by God's grace, what he has revealed to us, that we need his grace to help us. And not only do we need to discern the present world and its present longings and the kingdom of men and what they desire, which is the promotion of self, we also have to have an understanding, a discernment. In the sense, we have to understand what the kingdom that is coming and has come means in our lives. So this morning we focus primarily on the kingdom of men. This afternoon we will focus on the glorious kingdom of heaven and we'll be called again to discern between the two. Our text or our theme this morning, or this afternoon, sorry, let us discern or recognize its nature. We need to rejoice in the power and in the awesomeness of this great kingdom. So not only do we discern between the two, we need to marvel. We need to exalt the king of kings for the kingdom has come. There's three things that we're going to consider this afternoon as we, as we look at the, at the kingdom of God. The first thing that we are going to look at this afternoon as we, as we look at this kingdom of God is, is that 
it's first of all spiritual before it's physical. It's first of all spiritual before it becomes physical. So the dream continues. The kingdoms which point to the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek and the Romans, they all meet their end with the coming of another kingdom. And so we read in verse 34. I want to read this again. This is 34 of chapter 2. You watched, Nebuchadnezzar, you watched while a stone was cut out with hands, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The kingdoms of this world. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. So we have a man, a colossal man, a very big man, a giant of a man who is the image of the kingdoms of this world, and then we have a stone that grows and it consumes that man, it crushes him, and then it just fills the whole earth. The two kingdoms are not even comparable in power. Do you, do you understand, do we even understand a little bit of the weight of what is being said here? There will be a day when this dominion we call Canada, or the confederations of the world, the USA or China, the countries of Russia, all, all these nations that we are so entangled with today and we read and learn so much and the media shares so much of their wrangling and their stories, all these nations that we see, beloved, will turn to dust. They will be crushed. Obliterated is another word. After all the political wrangling and the collusion, the fighting over land and territories, defending political ideologies that has led to the death of absolute millions of people. We think of the ideologies of Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Pol Pot, Ho Chi Minh. With millions as pawns in their demonic vision all dying under their ideology. These were the kingdoms of men and all of them, past and present, will be finished. And at that time, there will be no more articles from New York Times or the Washington Post or CBC spreading their half-truths or worth their whole-scale lies on what is happening in this world. It will all be done. This will happen, the text says, when the king comes. The king of kings. The text now suggests that there's also kind of an intermediate step, that the king will come and the crushing will take time. There will be an end to all the kingdoms, but there is a time before the end. 
There's a time since the first coming of the Christ to the second coming of the Christ that the kingdom of Christ will be spreading through all the world. And if you understand Old Testament prophecy, and it's difficult at some level to understand it, but Old Testament prophecy often combines both the coming of first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It often says that it's the great day of the Lord, and it could be meaning Pentecost, or it could be meaning the death and resurrection of Christ, or it could be referring to Christ's ultimate return. From the vantage point of history, way back in time, they're looking towards the future by God's grace, and they see this one awesome event of Christ coming and Christ coming. And they just see it, as our professor used to say, it's like driving towards the mountains. I don't know if you've ever driven from Calgary to, towards uh, British Columbia. Some of you have. And as you leave Calgary, uh, you see the mountains, if my memory serves me correctly. And they're just tall. They're just a big mountain. But as you approach the mountains, you realize that there are many mountains and that there's actually space and distance between them. And that's the Old Testament prophecies. They see the great mountain of the Lord, the kingdom of Christ coming. But it's just awesome. We get to see it worked out in time and history. But we know this, that the stone, the stone represents Christ. And that is great comfort. This is also prophesied. Isaiah 28, verse 16, he says, the Lord says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. This is what I am laying down, a stone that the builders have rejected. Whoever picked Psalm 118 this morning, I thank you for doing that. That's exactly, that's exactly what Christ is. He is the stone that the builders have rejected. If Christ is the stone, how does the stone grow? How does the stone fill the earth from sea to sea? How does this kingdom just consume the world? Well, there's nothing in this text or in the tome the totality of Holy Scripture to suggest that there's a war cry from our king to take up arms and fight the enemies of the kingdom of heaven. There is no call for war to expand this kingdom. We're not jihadists. This is no caliphate. No, there are no weapons save the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is a spiritual conquest. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's one soul at a time as the Word continues to make progress from one sea to another, one country to another. Zechariah 4, verse 6, which is written after Daniel, says the following. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is how we fight our battles as heirs of the kingdom of heaven. We fight with the spirit of God in us. And we go to war with love and truth and grace and righteousness. 
So the kingdom of Christ will grow spiritually. It actually grows from the inside out. This is what's so beautiful about the kingdom of heaven. This is what's so beautiful about the gospel. It's not a form. This morning we spoke a lot about, or I did, I preached a lot about the image. We're all big on promoting ourselves, that we, are, we care about the image, like the colossal man was a picture of what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar could reason with and love because he was all about his image. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ cuts right into the heart and says it's not about your image, what you look like, how tall you are, how beautiful you are. It's about your heart. How beautiful is your heart? Christ wants to change one heart at a time or a million at a time. He can do whatever he likes with our hearts. It begins in the heart, and Jesus tried to get people to understand this while he was with us on earth. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. There's some farmers here. I don't know how many of you are planting mustard seeds. but they're small. Which is indeed the least of all seeds, the Lord Jesus says, but when it grows, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. It comes from the inside out. The kingdom of God enters into our hearts by his spirit and the kingdom's fruit and the kingdom's grace and the kingdom's truth begins to overwhelm our hearts and change us. We need to understand here, as we think about the expansion of the kingdom, that the church of Jesus Christ is the visible expression of kingdom growth. We don't separate the kingdom from the church. We realize that the church is the vehicle to expand this kingdom. That's why you're here this afternoon. And the means of grace the preaching and the sacraments are the way that this good news of the kingdom is brought to bear on our lives and then spread out into the world. You are the echo chamber. What you sh- hear here and what you have learned in the scripture leaves, it lives in your heart and then it moves into the world, into your places of work, into your, into your profession, into your schools. Wherever the Lord plants you, you take it and you go with it. The church of Jesus Christ will be active and is called to be active as the bride of Christ, the bride of the great king, to share the good news of his coming, his first coming, and the good news that he will come again. I, underst- I hope you understand, beloved, that each one of us, as citizens of the kingdom, are part of the kingdom's growth. Not just the pastors or the evangelists or the teachers of the word. And you understand the logic here. For the church of Jesus Christ to be kingdom focused, as this church must be and is and can only grow in this, for the church of Jesus Christ to be kingdom focused, promoting and advancing the kingdom, for that to happen, now listen to me carefully, the home must also be
be kingdom focused. The church, beloved, is an extension of the home. God came and saved families, and then he put the family into the body, his family. The home has to be kingdom focused. Now for the home to be kingdom focused, the family must be kingdom focused. But I'm going to take it one step further. For the family to be kingdom focused, the father of the family must be kingdom focused. He is leading that family, the family God has given him, into this kingdom that will never end. He is to stand up like Joshua did and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are to be as fathers. We have the burden. We have the beautiful burden of showing to our children that the kingdom of this world will just dissipate. It will turn to dust. It will be obliterated. 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 You fix it. I wasn't told how to teach that, learn that word. The kingdom of this world will be demolished. Safe there. And we have to tell our children that to invest in the kingdom of this earth is vanity upon vanities. If all you have is the things that this world can give you, you are poor and an inept soul. You have not life. So we show our children that, yes, God has blessed us with these things, but they're only things. No, we show our children that we have our eyes set above this world. There's a trajectory that leads us into the kingdom of heaven. And we say, no, our eyes are set on Christ. He is the king who has come. He will obliterate all the world. And his kingdom is the only kingdom that will last. So share his kingdom. Share his truth. Share his gospel, share his grace, share his righteousness, share his power, share his beauty, share his love, share everything you know, children, about the king of kings. One of the questions I get to hear often is that why are there not more men sharing this rich gospel of the great king in our churches? We have some 15,000 members in the Canadian Reformed Churches. 15,000. Why aren't more men just bashing down the door of our Bible college gently and saying, give me an application. Let me apply. At least let me apply. I want to share the message of the king. I I want to tell people that the king is coming back. I want the world to know that there's a great king who rules heaven and earth. And I want people to be on fire for this king. Give me an application. I'm going to apply. Why aren't people coming to the, to the door? There's one graduate this year. Shame on us. I don't know the answer to that question. Why there is such a large mass of, of congregational members and such a depravity, such a... Such a this, this, I don't know what to call it. 
In Papua New Guinea, we have about 50 or 60 members, and we have five pastors from 50 or 60 members. But maybe a part of the problem is that in our homes, we have lost the passion to be kingdom-focused. And so our kids are ultimately dealing with this cognitive dissonance. Is it for this kingdom or for this kingdom? Is it for the kingdom of this world or for the kingdom of heaven? Which kingdom do I align myself with? Where is my allegiance? The great scourge on our society, beloved, the great scourge on our society, beloved, is lethargy for the king in the advancing kingdom. And that scourge is in the church of Jesus Christ. We have lost our passion. We have lost our passion. We've lost our passion. I can only encourage you again to remember that the kingdom of this world is, on a, uh, is, is, is losing grip, it's, it's going nowhere good, and it's gonna end very soon, and the kingdom of Christ is growing. It's growing in China, and it's growing in India, and it's growing in Papua New Guinea, it's growing all over the world, and, and we should be part of that, and we should be celebrating that, and we should be sending out our men, thousands upon thousands, into this world to make this king known for his glory. And one day, and one day, and one day we will hear the voice of the archangel make known that this spiritual kingdom that we are fighting for and defending and promoting into all the world will become a physical kingdom. We will touch it and we will feel it. He says this, the archangel says this in chapter 11, verse 15 of, of, of Revelation. He says, and there were a loud voice in heaven saying, there, were, there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That day we will see, beloved when all that we have seen is what we see around us will be changed and the king of kings will make it, set up his kingdom right on this earth forever. And this kingdom, this is my second point, this kingdom that will come and this kingdom that is already in our hearts by his spirit is an unshakable kingdom. I noticed this morning that this pulpit shakes like this. It won't be like that. It won't be like that. It's an unshakable kingdom. It says this in verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Never. One thing in marriage that you never say is always or never. You never say those. But when you talk about the kingdom of Christ, you always use forever. Always. Because it's an enduring kingdom that is unshakable. And the hope and the confidence that should give us is, 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 isn't beyond this world. Because everything we see in the world around us is shakable. It's corruptible. It's rustable. 
Everything we touch will ultimately be destroyed. Every city, every town we drive through, everything we plant, someone else will uproot. Everything we build, someone else will destroy. We have nothing to fix and to fix eternally in the ground of this earth. It's shakable. History is beset by this constant decay this constant corruption, and society no less, and culture no less, it's on a road to decay as it loses its moorings, as it loses its grip on the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his holy word. The society around us continues to decay, continues to mold into something ugly and grotesque. Look at our country right now. It's not pretty. That's our society. That's our worldview. That's what we get to see. And Christ says, but it's not all that there is. What is and will never ever be, forever be, is my kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom and it will not be shaken. It's built, we read in Psalm 97, or I prayed through it this morning, it's built on the foundations of truth and built on the foundations of justice and righteousness, on holiness. These are eternal foundations. Hebrews 12 captures this beautifully in verse 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that's what we're going to get. A kingdom that won't do this. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. He's holy, and his kingdom is righteous. And then the dream ends with these words. It says in verse 45, this dream, which you have now received as an interpretation, this dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. God said that through Daniel. Everything we have learned about the kingdom of men, everything corruptible, everything that will be demolished, everything we have learned about that kingdom and everything we have learned about the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of, his, of the Son of God, the kingdom that will last forever, is true and certain. You can bank your life on it, beloved. What confidence we should have as we go out and share the gospel that we're working for a king whose kingdom will never end but we're left with one last question this is my third point and final point this question is more difficult but it has to be asked even in the church of Jesus Christ the question is this Who are citizens of this kingdom? The kingdom has chosen citizens. Who are they? This kingdom is spiritual. It's unshakable. But it forces the question, are you going to be part of this eternal kingdom? Or not? Am I going to be part of that? It's a question worth asking. 1 
Verse 44 says, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. That means this kingdom will be not left to um, others to destroy. It will be left to Christ and whoever is in union with Christ. But are you? We know that scripture reveals that when the king of kings returns, every citizen of every nation will either be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of men. Everyone will be allocated to one or the other kingdom. You cannot be in both. There are only two kingdoms, beloved, that will hold our eternal citizenship. One citizenship will be an eternal destruction and one citizenship will be an eternal glory. There are only two possible citizenships in the whole world. Your Canadian passport, beloved, won't help you one little bit on the day of days. And the startling truth is And scripture reveals us that even in the church of Jesus Christ, there may be some who are outside the kingdom of heaven. If you are to read this afternoon and spend time in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the churches, you'll realize that in almost every one of those churches, there were citizens of the kingdom of darkness. And they were being warned. Some, we read, were citizens of the synagogue of Satan. Well, what's that? Others, we read, held the teaching of Balaam. And Balaam was a teacher of carnality. He always tried to promote the lusts of the flesh as a way to deceive the people of Israel. And it worked. There are some who live with so much passion for the flesh that they have lost sight of the kingdom of heaven. There are those we read in the church of Laodicea that are neither hot nor cold. There are those, these are the people who are constantly straddling with one foot in the kingdom of heaven and the other foot in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of men. And, 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 and they don't really know which kingdom holds their allegiance. Beloved, the line in the sand is clearly drawn. There is only one or the other. You can't straddle these kingdoms. Some will say, of course I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm part of the covenant, aren't I not? I've been baptized into the promises. I'm a citizen. But you have to understand, beloved, that the covenant does not guarantee entrance into the kingdom, especially after the age of discernment, when you've heard the gospel preached to you. The glory of the covenant, beloved, guarantees God's abundant faithfulness to all who are born in the household of faith. That's what the covenant guarantees, that God will be our Father. 
And his promises are eternal. And he will never retract or rescind any of them. That's the covenant. And the demand of the covenant is a response to those promises. And baptism, for the beauty of baptism, baptism serves as a beautiful invitation, a sign and seal that you are part of this fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ. But neither the covenant nor baptism guarantees entrance into the kingdom of Christ. Because neither the covenant nor baptism can save us. The only one who can save you is the head of the covenant, whose blood was poured out for the sake of the covenant. His name is Jesus. He is the king. And he is the only one who can seal our redemption. He's the only one who can save us. That's why as preachers of the gospel, we have the burden and the joy. So that every time we preach, we preach Christ and him crucified. So that you can find yourself by faith in him and then you're safe i press this beloved i press this because the lord's going to return soon and i press this not to scare you wondering now with some kind of internal anxiety am i saved or am i not saved you know it's very easy then just to look at yourself and and, and measure your own life no The Bible always teaches us when it comes to our salvation to look outside ourselves. But where are we looking? Do we look to the covenant to save us? No. Do we look to our baptism to save us? No. We look at the promises, yes, but we don't look to them to save us. No, we set our eyes on the king. We set our eyes on Christ. Let me just close by saying, because Christ points this very beautifully out in the the story of the two criminals beside Jesus. The two criminals beside Jesus, you have to understand, represent two kingdoms. One, the criminal on his, say, left, mocked Jesus and scorned him. He is a picture of the kingdom of this world that looks at other people for their own advantage, despises God, spurns his will, and says, save me in my flesh. Let me remain a sinner. Let me remain an outcast, but just save me. Just get me off this tree. And the other man who now, by God's grace, becomes a participant and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven turns to this man and says, don't you understand that we are getting what we justly deserve? This man in the middle has done nothing wrong. Of course not, he's the king of kings. But listen to what this man says. And every saint who can hear my voice right now And I'm speaking to parents. I'm speaking to children who can understand the gospel now. 
not to children who are too young to receive the gospel. God is tender and merciful, and his covenant, his grace, and promises are all over them. I'm speaking to you who can understand the gospel. That the steps that this man took by faith through grace are the steps that each one of us have to task to take as well. He turned to Jesus, the King of Kings. He said to Jesus, Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said what? Will Jesus reject anyone who comes to him by faith? Jesus says today, today, right now, you'll be with me in paradise. You're, you're in. And nothing will ever separate you from me. Once you're in, you're in. Once you have Christ, you have eternal life. The answer, beloved, to whether we are citizens is not found in us. No, the answer to whether we are citizens is found in Christ. And we receive Christ by faith alone. And this faith is a faith that Jesus is our king. He's the only one who has redeemed us. He's satisfied God's wrath for our sins. He's the only one who can bring us from here to there. He's the only one. The citizenship is not traded. It's not bought. It's not purchased. It's not bartered. It's received by faith in Christ. The gift of grace, beloved, given to all who call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon his name and continue to do that. The assurance of our salvation is not in ourselves. The assurance rests in Christ and the kingdom is open to all who believe in him. The promises will continue. The covenant stands firm. The, the baptism is a sign of the covenant. All these things must continue until the end of the age. And all of them point solely on the king of kings. And so that we will be able to sing in just one or two or three seconds. We will be able to sing with confidence. Christ, you're the way to God. Your blood and ransom paid. In you we face our judge and maker unafraid. Before the throne absolved we stand. Your love has met your law's demand. Christ, you have done everything and to you we surrender our life and we thank you. And we thank you. May God give us a mind to discern this truth and to live in the confidence that is ours in Christ. We are his. Heirs of God and co-heirs of his eternal kingdom that will never be shaken. Amen.